everyone is doing well this morning? Are you doing well? I figured the Auburn fans would be turning cartwheels right now. <laughs> but if you have your, your Bible, please open it to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first five verses today. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your holy word, uh, I pray that your spirit, Lord, will move in my own heart and in my own soul. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, that my pride and my need for man's approval, Lord, will be put to the side, and that the Spirit will speak through me and to your people. And I pray that you will be glorified in all that is said. You will be lifted up, Lord, and I will be made low, Father. And Lord, you know what your people need to hear. You know what your people are dealing with. And my prayer for them and for myself is that the Spirit of God would meet us there today, that we will hear the word that we need to hear that we can leave this place equipped a little more to fight one more day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. A prison cell, a prison cell in which one waits and hopes is completely dependent upon the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. A prison cell in which one waits and hopes is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. That is a picture of Advent, says Dietrich Bonhoeffer. All mankind, when you think about it, is in a prison cell in the penitentiary of sin and ministry. Ministry. Misery. We're all on death row with no hope or parole, without any internal peace, waiting for final judgment. That is our condition. That is our state. But God moved on our behalf. Christmas actually came. It actually happened. Just like the fall happened, Christmas came. And in Christmas, in that very first Christmas, God sent his only son to be the door to your freedom. He opens the door from the outside. He alone sets the captives free. A friend of mine named Toby Woodard, he says, Christ doesn't take away your story. He changes the meaning. He gives it life. Advent is a reminder that Jesus came to give meaning to your story, to give it life. He wraps your story 
in Advent paper of peace, hope, love, and joy. But do you believe it? Today we're, we're going to talk about peace and hope. The peace and hope that Christ gives us. First, let's look at peace. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This phrase, since you, we have been justified by faith, is what makes it possible for you to have an Advent life. In fact, this peace here is a result of being justified by faith. This means if you're not justified by faith, then you do not have this peace with God. You don't have it without this. This term that has been translated justified actually means to be pronounced or declared justified. It's actually an act. It is an act of being declared righteous. Now, who's responsible for this act? Are you responsible for your own justification? Are you responsible for the justification of other people? No. No. Please notice that this phrase, since you have been justified, is passive. You're like, what does that mean? It's passive. This is what theologians, theologians call a theological passive because it shows that God alone has done the action. God alone has done something upon the subject. God alone is the one who justifies. God alone is the one who declares someone to be righteous. We don't. How does he do it? Paul tells us he does it by means of faith. By a faith that is trusting, resting, depending, believing. It's not faith in our own merit, our own goodness, our work, our performance, our reputation. This is truly an act of God. Not man. Because remember, man, we're, we're on death row in penitentiary. We have no hope. We are no peace, no freedom. But the coming of the first Christmas meant our days on death row was coming to an end. You see, the birth of Christ meant your cell was going to be open from the outside. You were going to be able to be set free. And your freedom, the freedom that comes to those of us who have faith in Christ, it came at a great cost. You see, when Christ comes, he, he takes your place in your present cell. Did you know that? He takes your place. He takes your death sentence upon himself. And not only that, he takes your seat in the judgment seat by offering up his life for yours. The incarnation always has the cross in its foresight. That's where he's headed. That's what he was born to do. The little baby Jesus was born to die for you. Paul says in Romans 5 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So people are justified and declared righteous only through saving faith in Christ alone. Period. Period. Only through him. This is faith. Trusting, resting, Depending and believing in Jesus' merit, in Jesus' goodness, in Jesus' work, in Jesus' performance, in Jesus' reputation. That is faith. That's what justifies us. It's what he's done on our behalf. 
Never what we have done. And the result of you being justified by faith in Christ is that you now have peace with God. Think about that. The result of being justified by faith in Christ alone is that we now have peace with God. Through Christ, through his finished work, this is possible. This is a big deal. Because before Christ came, we were not at peace with God. We had no way of being at peace with God. Think about that. The relationship between God and man was broken by the fall. And that resulted into a great separation. And think about it like this. Man and God, we got beef between each other. That's slang for issues between man and God. You have beef between each other. Man is in opposition to God. He is God's enemy. And he's also under God's wrath. That's our state before Christ. As long as man is lost in his sin, he will remain an enemy of God with no possibility of peace. When humans are, when we have relationship problems or issues, there are times when we seek out help. You know, when siblings get in fights and arguments, what do they do? They run to their parents. Mom, dad, so-and-so did this. Or when couples have marital issues, sometimes they seek out help for a counselor. Uh, the point is that at some point in our relationships, we come to a point where we can't fix it ourselves. We need outside help. Kids who run to their parents and couples who go to counselors, they go looking for a mediator. They go looking for someone to, who, to mediate peace, to help them solve the issues. The separation. And the same is true of Christ. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the peacemaker between us. He came in the incarnation to be the peace treaty between God and man. That's what he came to be. The peace treaty. The mediator. Ephesians 2, 4 says, for he himself is our peace. He himself is your peace. This means Christ alone is the one who reconciles you to God. Being at peace with God means you are reconciled to him. You have been put back into right relationship with him. It means you are no longer an enemy. You're no longer in opposition. You're no longer under divine wrath. You have been freed from it. Because it's been poured out on the Son. Because it's been poured out on Him. The child that was born on Christmas Day was going to bear the curse that was meant for us all. God's wrath would one day be poured out on His very Son. Because God loved His enemies. You and I. His Son took the curse. You see, He did not grow up to become our substitute, He was born to be it. Born to be it. He was marked for death the day he was born. He was. And you have peace with God through him. Do we, do we live as those who have peace with God? Or do we live trying to create our own peace treaty with him? This peace is a present reality. And, and your peaceful standing with God will never be altered. Because it's on Christ. He gives it. Paul says, 
Through Christ, we have peace with God, and through Christ, we have obtained access into this grace. What does that mean? What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor towards us in Christ. It's a favor that would not be taken away. It's a favor that we cannot earn. It's a favor that's been freely given to us. Unmerited favor is God placing all of his fatherly affection upon you. Do you know that? That he has lavished you with his fatherly affection and it will never be taken away. Have you thought about that? What does that do to you when you think about it? That when God sees you, he sees favor. He sees a child, a favor that would never be taken away. We experience God's grace, I believe, in two ways. We've already talked about the first way, and that is through this act of justification by faith, and that is the grace in which we now stand all the days of our life. And the second way we experience it is, is, is the work of God's grace, and that is sanctification, and that is you accessing grace in the present life by faith. Christ's finished work gives you the security clearance you need to freely live in grace to freely access that grace daily. You see, the grace in which we stand that makes us right with God is the same grace we access in order to live for God. I'll say that again. The same grace in which we stand that makes us right with him is the same grace we access to live for him now. It doesn't change. That same grace works in you. It doesn't just save you. It works in you now, in the present tense now. But do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Davion is a 15-year-old Florida teen who's been in the foster system since his birth. He's been out, in and out of foster homes, never able to find a, a permanent place or a family who would take him in. He, he never met his mother, who gave birth to him while he was in jail. He's ne- he has no idea who his father is. Many of us can't imagine what it would be like to be born into the world alone, abandoned, unloved, and unwanted. That's Davion. I can't imagine what it would be like to be 15 and have no family, to be without a mom and dad. I can't imagine that. I can't can't imagine what he's feeling. He told the Tampa Bay Times, he says, I'll take anyone. Old, young, mom, dad, black, white, purple, I don't care. I will really be really appreciative. I'll be the best I could be. You see, he wanted family. He wanted love. He wanted someone to take him in. And he got tired of waiting, so he decided to take matters into his own hands. So on October the 13th, he went to a church in St. Petersburg, Florida, to ask the people at that church, to adopt him. He stood in front of 300 people basically pleading with them to take him in. This young man wants and longs for adoption to be brought into a loving and caring home. He wants a mom. He wants a dad. He wants acceptance. He wants someone to want him. To love him. I want each of you to understand that what this young man longs for in this present life, Christ has purchased for you with God. Please know that. What this young man longs for, acceptance, to be wanted, to be adopted, to be loved, 
Christ purchased for you with God by giving his life for you. See, Christmas is it's not about you pleading with God to want you or to accept you. Christmas is God coming to make a way for his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what Christmas is about. God coming to you, bringing a gift to you so that you, his enemies, could be made right with him. Remember my quote from my friend. Christ doesn't take away our story. He changes the meaning of our story. He gives it life. You don't just have peace with God. You have been adopted by God into his family. Think about that. Do you really understand what that truly means? You don't just have peace with them. You see, when two kingdoms are at peace, two kingdoms go back to their separate kingdoms. They don't live in the same kingdom. You see, us having peace with God means we are not part of God's family. We are not part of God's kingdom. Everything about us is different. Everything about us is new. He has brought you into his home and made you one of his own. He has changed your last name. You are his. And when God sees you, when God looks at you, that's my son. That's my daughter. I accept you. I enjoy you. I like you. I want you. I favor you. I have peace with you. Can you rest in that truth? That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Davion also told these churchgoers, he says, I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. Do you know what this 15-year-old communicated in those words? Do you know what, that, what those words actually mean? He, those words meant that if none of you adopted me, I still believe God has not abandoned me. I still have hope. I still have hope. Hope, that's right. Because through Christ, you don't just have peace with God, you also have hope through Christ. Verse 2b. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That term that has been translated rejoice can also mean to boast or to glory in something with confidence. The reason we can boast is because we have God's favor in Christ, the grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope. And this hope is is looking forward to, to something in the future, something that is still to come. And we boast in it with assurance, with expectation and confidence because we know we're going to get it. This future is, is the glory of God, which is a reference to the promises of God being actually made reality in the last day. These are not just empty promises of a politician. But these are real promises that will come to God's people. Remember God's promise to Abraham? What did God promise Abraham? You will be the father of many nations. Now, how long did it take for that promise to come true? <laughs> did it happen the next day? It took a long time. But did Abraham waver? Did he? What did, what did the word says? He believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. Faith. Paul says in Romans 4, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. 
as he has been told. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that's faith. Fully convinced that God is able to do what he had promised. But do you believe that in your life? That he's able to do what he has promised to do for you. He is able. For all the promise of a God, a God found a yes in Christ. Because he purchased them for us. He did. And the spirit that lives in us is a guarantee that one day we will get that inheritance. The spirit of God. Paul says we boast in the hope of this glory. But more than that, we boast in our suffering. What? Excuse me? I boast in the hope of, the, of what's to come. But more than that, I'm supposed to boast in my suffering? What's going on with you, Paul? Are you crazy? What is Paul saying here? It says, I talked about last week. He's talking about the already and not yet of the Christian life. Boasting in the hope of the glory of God is future. Boasting in our suffering is present tense. It's the here and now. This means we will not experience the full buffet of these promises in this lifetime. But we will taste them, but we will not get the full buffet yet. But you still can have hope in the midst of hardship. Boast in our hope, and we boast also in our suffering. How is that possible? How is it possible for me to boast in hardships? How is it possible for me to boast when, when, when life is hard and it's difficult and, and I'm losing things, people are dying, people are getting sick? Is this real? Is what Paul's saying here truly reality? Is it pie in the sky, man? Can this really take place? Only through Christ can one boast in suffering. Boast in our suffering, it doesn't mean we boast in suffering itself. Let's face it, suffering is, is a dark side of life. It is. And this dark side of life is a bully. You know why it bullies us? It bullies, it tries to bully us into a state of hopelessness. That's what suffering can do. That's what trials can do. That's what loss can do. It can drive you to despair. If you think God is punishing you. If you despair in your suffering, it will rob you of hope. And you will begin to think that God hates you. He's punishing you. He's abandoning you. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He, he wants you to see your suffering differently. He wants you to see your trials differently. He wants you to boast and glory in them while knowing something. This term... Knowing, I'm, I love that he has this here. It's really a, a participle, and, it, and a better translation would be while knowing. Glory in your suffering while at the same time knowing something. This is not just abstract knowledge of theological terms or Bible stories. This knowing is you putting your faith in action. This is you bringing your faith to your trial. It's your belief and assurance that God himself is at work in the midst of what you're going through. Boast in your suffering while knowing you're not abandoned. Boast in your suffering while knowing God has not left you. God has not punished you 
but God is still with you in the midst of it. Because if you don't know that, then you're going to think God is punishing you. You're going to think God hates you. You're going to think you're alone if you do not bring your faith to the battlefield with you. Faith, faith lets you know that you're never alone in the midst of your suffering. God uses it. I don't know how, how that works together, but I do believe he uses our suffering to produce things in us. Hebrews 12, 2.10 says, Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. To make the founder of their faith perfect through suffering. And perfect here just means mature. If God did that to Christ, then he would do the same for us. Mature us through the process of trial. Suffering produces endurance, says Paul, which means you will grow in perseverance. You will grow in patience. You don't lose heart in the midst of your suffering. The, the, hard, the harsh reality for, for me to accept sometimes is to realize that, that some of you, some of my friends are going to have great loss. I have a friend who's battling cancer. I have a grandmother who's dealing with cancer. Great loss. These are believers. These aren't pagans. These are believers. Friends who have lost jobs. Friends whose marriages have fallen apart. And some of you have dealing with the same stuff. We face hardships in this life. Christmas doesn't mean you get your best life now. But there are those who would say that. But you can have your best life now. Christmas does not mean you get a pass on suffering. What Christmas means is you get the best comforter of your life. The best comforter you're ever going to get in Jesus. You're going to get the best sustainer you're ever going to get. The best redeemer you're ever going to have in this life. And that is Jesus. Through him, he enables you to suffer well because you know he's with you in the midst of it. In him, you can face trial with confidence. This is not a state of denial, but it's you holding firm to the fact that God has you. He has you. A firm grip he has upon you. He is able to keep you. This is no idol. This is not Buddha. This is none of these other gods. This is Yahweh Elohim, the creator of the universe, who is able to do what he said he's going to do. My goodness, he spoke the word into existence. The world into existence. You don't think he can sustain you through a trial? No matter how hard it gets, we got to believe it. And if you say, I don't believe, you say, Spirit, help my unbelief. That's what you say. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe what's hard to believe. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. This term that has been translated character can also mean tested character or proven character. I call it a battle-scarred character. A battle-scarred character. Because someone who has a battle-scarred character has come out on the other side of suffering. They're a little more mature. A little more wise. Faith is a little stronger. Dependence on Christ is a little more stronger. Because 
Christ used that trial to strengthen them in their trust in him. Those believers who have a battle-scarred character, it has been tested through the fire of hardship, refined through the fire. And this battle-scarred character, it says, produces hope. Hope in the here and now. Paul said this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hardships, they should make us long more for heaven. Not long, they should make us long more for heaven, more for eternity, more to be with Jesus, more for Jesus to return. At the same time, this hope is an assurance and reminder that God can deliver us. And so whatever you're dealing with, whatever trial you're dealing with, whatever hardship you're experiencing, His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. But do we believe it? But do you believe it? Christmas should remind you that your hope is built on nothing less, people, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You did not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's it. On Christ, the solid rock, you will forever stand. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise gives me life. Memorize that verse. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise gives me life. You got to meditate on those promises. Take them to heart. When you truly believe in your heart of hearts that you have peace and hope in Christ alone, then you can say what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, and you can live this way. You can say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Only someone who is resting in Christ can say that. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not shaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We do not lose heart. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because Christ is for you. Though our inner life is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That is our hope. The things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. Are eternal. Only those who have saving faith in Christ can live like this. Do you have it? And if you don't have it, do you want it? Let us pray. Father, I thank you that my hope is built on nothing less than as Christ's blood and righteousness. And that is enough. That is all I need. That is all we need. And so I pray as we 
come to a close of another year as we come to Christmas Day that, that your spirit, Lord, the spirit that lives in us will bring comfort to us. And I pray, pray for your people that, Father, whatever they're dealing with, that you will help them to know that they have peace. Help them to know that there is hope in this life, not just in the life to come, but in the present things that they are dealing with, in the current struggles they are dealing with, in the current uncertainties that they are dealing with. They don't face them alone. They are not orphans, Lord. They have been adopted into your kingdom. They are sons and daughters. And I pray, Father, that you would meet their every need in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.